Hello and welcome to another episode of Politics Chat. We take an in-depth look at the week's news and top topics through political science lens. I'm Mike, joined as ever by my brother Jeev. Jeev, how are you today? I'm very well, Michael. How are you? Yep, I'm all. I'm all good. Thank you very much. So. We are, you know, having a reaction podcast today following the no confidence votes um, that, that happened yesterday. And we are joined by a very special guest today. We are joined by Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University of London and historian of the Conservative Party, Tim Bale. Tim, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I stayed up a little bit later than usual just to follow the events uh, of uh, the uh, confidence vote. Um, but yeah, feeling okay. You and I both, Tim, honestly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to... You, you guys had a crazy night, didn't we you? We did, we did. You know, staying up and reading all things Boris Johnson. What a night. <laughs> so, so we're going to, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to cover the no-confidence votes. We're going to cover what this means for Boris Johnson, both in terms of his legacy and also next steps. Mm-hmm. And we're going to think about what happens next with the Conservative Party. So, Jeeve, why don't you kick us off with what exactly happened with the no-confidence votes? Well, I think the the final outcome is basically this. Boris Johnson had about 40% of his party vote against him in that confidence vote. That was more than kicked out Theresa May, more than Margaret Thatcher. As far as I see, it's a pretty clear signal that this is kind of the end for Boris Johnson, uh, whether that happens like straight away or in a few months. And I think basically he has two choices. He can either try and achieve something big in the time he has left to him or like try desperately cling to power he should do the former I think he's going to probably end up doing the latter I, th- I think that's where I see it too Jeeve I think prime ministers can often su- survive no confidence votes but it merely de- delays the inevitable you know one to survive no confidence votes and go on to win an election and 41% of Boris Johnson's own MPs do not have confidence in his leadership. You know, Boris Johnson's premiership is functioning over and has been for some time. Tim, where do you see things sitting at the moment? Well, I mean, I agree with both of you. I think um, the Prime Minister is very badly wounded and possibly mortally wounded, actually. Um, I mean, we have a lot of cabinet ministers going around, um, you know, the morning after the night before, um, professing their undying love for Boris Johnson once again and drawing a line under the uh, whole thing. Um, We have actually quite a few of the MPs who voted against him in some ways trying to do the same, um, you know, professing their loyalty now that the uh, vote has, has, has been over. But I, I honestly think that for Conservative MPs, um, you know, this is a real eye-opener. I don't think many of them expected so many of their number to vote against Boris Johnson. Indeed, I suspect that many of those who voted for Boris Johnson might well have voted against him had they known quite how many of their colleagues, uh, you know, were were feeling, um, you know, the, the, the same way. Um I think he's got a couple of by-elections coming up um, towards the end of the month that could well, um, you know, reopen the wound um, pretty uh, extensively um, if, as many people expect, the Conservative Party loses both of those by-elections. Partly because, you know, one of the by-elections is in a rock-solid Conservative seat that the Lib Dems might be able to take and another is in one of these red wall seats that the Labour Party may be able to take. And of course, one of the great fears that Conservative MPs have is this, um, you know, um, double uh, pronged offensive by the opposition parties. You know, uh, one of the things that 
um, in some ways prevented the Conservatives from um, coming a cropper in 2019 was that many Liberal Democrat uh, voters were too scared of Jeremy Corbyn um, not to vote Conservative. And that's not the case this time around. Uh, while, you know, in, in the red wall seats, it was all about Brexit, which it's not all about right now. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. I think there was an, another thing as well that kind of happened yesterday, which I know, Tim, you've spoken before or written before rather about kind of the talismanic status of Boris Johnson. Mm. In one sense, it really felt like yesterday the myth was very acutely punctured. There is definitely a, a belief within the Conservative Party or at least the MPs, where a lot of them kind of go, yeah, he's done all these awful things and all the numbers are awful, but look how many times he's survived Mm. before. And my view is actually that he's got quite lucky, but throughout all of this entire thing, ever since the Sue Gray, well, ever since the parties came out, the the delays the Sue Gray report delayed the inevitable by about six months, but that doesn't suggest someone who has this, you know, huge qualities able to overturn the force of political destiny in the way that I think he has an interest in portraying and actually a lot of his colleagues seem to for some reason. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there is an incredible myth surrounding Boris Johnson's magical powers, isn't there? And if we look back at the 2019 election, and this comes quite you know strongly out of the, the, the book of, of the election, which I helped to write, he actually wasn't as popular throughout that 2019 campaign as Theresa May was during that disastrous 2017 um, campaign. I mean, clearly he, he does appeal to those voters who, you know, um, who like him, but there's a whole bunch of voters who really don't like him. And then a whole bunch of voters who are actually pretty indifferent um, to Boris Johnson were prepared to put up with him as long as they thought he was going to deliver on Brexit and perhaps deliver some of those things that uh, the Conservative Party promised to do once Brexit was done. Um, But, you know, I've never been particularly impressed with Boris Johnson. And if the opinion polls are right, you know, have rumbled him now. Uh, and just want him gone, really, uh, and a fairly kind of embarrassed and, you know, actually pretty damned angry with him in, in some cases. Yeah, I agree with you both. Look, I think Johnson believes in his own hype and believes he can weather any storm, but no one in recent history has been subjected to this level of internal dissent and survived long term. I think it is quite staggering when you look at 2019 and the fact that Johnson won his 80 seat majority. You know, he was a man that's going to get a Brexit done. He's exhausted so much political capital since then in such a short period of time. And I do find that quite staggering. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, there there aren't many governments with an 80-seat majority that have managed to do so little with that um, majority. Now, clearly, COVID plays a part in that. Um, you know, we would have to, uh, to some extent, excuse the lack of achievement um, as a result. But, I mean, if we look back at COVID as well, it, it's a a constant source of amazement to me, uh, actually, how um, the government's performance uh, during the pandemic seems to have been discounted by so many people, political observers, and to some extent, the public as well. I mean, we are actually well aware from the various reports that have gone on, and I'm sure the public inquiry will find the same, that tens of thousands of people probably died unnecessarily because of the government's failure to lock down early enough uh, in the uh, winter and spring of of 2020. And then, of course, um, you know, when the second wave hit, uh, there was another delay uh, to to locking down, which caused tens of thousands of of deaths quite quite needlessly. Um, You know, uh, 
it, in some ways, it, it is quite shocking and quite worrying that uh, a prime minister who you know oversaw such a woeful response to a pandemic uh, is leading a party which, at the moment anyway, is only four or five points behind the opposition. And I guess that does say something about the opposition as well as the government. Yeah, he got all the big calls right. I mean, that's that's the line that every... And it it's not... Only yesterday was the first time I kind of saw someone... Um, kind of clap back and say that's a little bit silly given some of the stuff that's happened mm. but no one no journalist does seem to talk about the late lockdown especially that December one in 2020 mm. and I know you have end response bias where you kind of you know you look at experience and you kind of the end of it really colors your view of what mm. happened so mm. you know a relationship ends badly people always go the relationship was terrible when it really wasn't mm. with this pandemic the vaccine rollout was fast I could see why people reacted I could see to some extent but I mean, you're right, Tim, it's, you know, especially that that time we locked down too late the second or third time, mm. and third time rather, mm. uh, you know, it put everyone's lives at risk. No one had, you know, any, a single wrong move could really mean death. And that's a really horrible place to be. And yet, and yet the Conservative Party and kind of, I think, some extent, us, the public at large, kind mm. of forget that. Yeah, forget. and I, I mean, I think the vaccine rollout is an interesting one, isn't it? Because I do think that that, um, to some extent, played into um, Brexit feeling. The fact that uh, we managed to roll out faster, uh, at least in the initial stages, than some of those uh, EU countries, and the fact that we had various rows with the EU very early on about vaccine availability uh, mean that for some people, um, the, the the question of vaccines and the question of Brexit got rolled up um, together uh, to the government's advantage uh, to some extent, so that even by the time uh, the rest of the EU had caught up and in some cases actually gone beyond what we'd managed to do in, in this country in terms of coverage, um, that was largely um, forgotten. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is it is something that we perhaps don't talk about uh, enough, actually, the way that the government has, quote unquote, got away with uh, what, you know, in, in, I think, objective terms would be a relatively poor response uh, to COVID. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Tim. Thinking about maybe Johnson in terms of like the long and short term, Tim, how important do you think those those by-elections you touched on earlier are? Because I, I think they are hugely important, as, as you mentioned. We, we, I think we all predict that the Conservatives are going to leave, lose both seats in terms of polling data, um, so one to Lib Dems and one to the Labour Party. And I'm sure that will worry a lot of Conservative MPs who are sitting on smaller majorities than those in, 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 in the two seats that are going to be fought over in, in the next month or so. So how important are those by-elections for, for Johnson to well, I, I mean, by-elections shouldn't be important, but the, the fact is they, they are, um, you know, seen as um, symbolic of uh, where a government is, is standing, even if they, to some extent, contradict the uh, opinion polls. I mean, I think the, the loss of both of those seats um, would be problematic because they are, in some senses, emblematic of the Conservatives' worst fears. Um, you know, the, the first fear is that the Red Wall is going to crumble, uh, and that would be Wakefield. And the second fear is that, you know, whatever you define as the blue wall and it's, you know, not really <laughs> actually taking into account a seat like um, Tiverton and Holliton. But, you know, for the sake of argument, um, it will be um, bundled into that blue wall description. 
um, you know, the, the, that's uh, uh, the big fear that that blue wall will crumble to the, to the Lib Dem. So I think, you know, it really would be a, a double whammy. And we know from history that by-elections can make a difference to um, leaderships. Uh, it, there is absolutely no doubt. And I don't just say this because I live there and I'm talking to you from there and I come from there, um, that the Eastbourne by-election in 1990 helped do for Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you know, she was already a long way uh, behind in the opinion polls. There were huge problems with the poll tax. Obviously, Europe, once again, was an issue within the Conservative Party. But it really was the shock of that by-election um, defeat, the overturning of it, I think, a sort of 18, 19,000 uh, majority, um, especially after the MP had been uh, murdered by a terrorist organisation, the IRA. So most people thought that, you know, the government would get a kind of anti-terrorism um, sympathy vote. The, the loss of that by-election was hugely important uh, in the decision of MPs to um, get rid of her. But of course, in some ways, it was a much easier thing to do back then because uh, you didn't have to go through this two-stage process where you have a vote of no confidence to get rid of the leader and then a leadership contest. Uh, at that point, anyone could stand against the leader if they could get enough people to uh, to nominate them to do so, so it was actually much easier to take a leader down if you if you needed to. Yeah, I suppose that's also a problem in terms of so where the Conservative Party are now, where they're going to go. I think one one reason why Johnson has lasted so long has been precisely because he basically appointed a cabinet that were over on loyalty more than anything else, and therefore, if at that point you have two ministers who are equally. Uh, equally loyal you want to choose one that's the least competent because they end up being more dependent on you I mean that's why you've got Nadine Doris in government like Nadine Doris shouldn't be a cabinet minister not because we disagree with her but because she isn't good at her job or knows her brief at all and more broadly there's a you know you need in the conservative party those MPs for a while felt like they needed someone to kind of lead the rebellion against Johnson no one's really stepped forward to do so and there's also a deeper, more fundamental problem I think the Conservative Party faces, which is, on the one hand, they as MPs and members want to be low tax and low spend. They want to be neo-Osbornites to, to a large degree. But the public wants this high spend levelling up Conservative Party and government. And I don't know how any future leader, or even indeed the kind of Conservative Party as a whole, what they're supposed to stand for and how they're going to both A, win a leadership election and say, this is what we are for the party and then turn around and win an election in the country. I, I find it very difficult to see how you square that circle. Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. In, in some senses, it's the flip side of the upside of, of broadening the Conservative Party's electoral coalition in 2019, isn't it? That you've got, um, in some senses, irreconcilable <clears throat> desires on the part of uh, the different sides of that electoral coalition. Um I mean, we can we can overdo, obviously, the differences between people in those so-called red wall seats and people in those so-called blue wall seats. Um, to some extent, you know, they they, they do have a, a kind of shared agenda. Um, you know, often it's quite a kind of culturally conservative agenda. Um, people in the red wall um, probably don't want to pay too much tax, but they certainly want um, more effective public services. But on that, on the other hand, of course, in the blue wall, public services are important as well, particularly the uh, the health service. But but I, I do agree, you have got a problem really with a, a Conservative Party that essentially is Thatcherite, right? small state, you know, low tax, low spend, uh, deregulation. Uh, and, you know, what it's promised to do at the 2019 election and, you know, what Boris Johnson 
famously, you know, sort of ideologically flexible, um, has associated himself with in that kind of leveling up agenda. So, yes, you're right, I think, you know, that it's difficult to imagine um, an, another leader who could, um, you know, pull that electoral coalition um, together. Now, Boris Johnson could do it partly by sort of, you know, force of charisma, um, but partly by promising, you know, what, as you quite rightly say, can't really be delivered unless you really do believe in in having your cake and eat it. It could be delivered if they had a chancellor who was willing, mm-hmm. and this gets onto Jeevan's territory, to, to borrow more uh, rather than to uh, necessarily tax more. But Rishi Sunak seems to find borrowing morally offensive. He does. It's also, there's a, there's a great irony about Rishi Sunak in, in general, which is, well, from Boris Johnson's side, that he chose a chancellor he thought would be pliable. Like, we all forget he became <laughs> chancellor because, you know, Sajid Javid wouldn't do what Boris Johnson said. And he goes, right, well, I'll appoint you a number two, but he'll do what I tell him to do. Yeah. And then he, had, he ended up with, like, the chancellor who wouldn't because, hey, because COVID made him really powerful. Yeah. Um, I did think for a while he'd have to sack him, as in sack his chancellor to, like, win the next election. Now it seems somewhat... Like, just seems somewhat of a moot point. Um, and Rishi Sunak, it's not even clear if he wants to run again as Prime Minister. No, so it's, it's not even sure if he, uh, you know, it's not even a surefire um, thing for him. You're, you're quite right. I think he's been so badly damaged by, um, you know, the, the non-dom affair um, and, and by the public realising, actually, you know, he's not the um, saviour they, they, they thought he was. I mean, there are people who clearly would run in any leadership contest. I mean, Liz Truss... Um, you know, has, has made, you know, very little secret of the fact that she would do so. But, you know, that then gets back to, to the dilemma that you you talked about earlier, which is, you know, she is very much a kind of Thad, Thatcher tribute act. Uh, and, you know, if she were to put forward some of the policies that um, she thinks would save the country, I think a lot of voters would react very badly um, to them. So, you know, that kind of so-called Singapore on Thames agenda doesn't have very much um, political appeal, I think, for many of the people who switched to the Conservatives in in, in 2019. Uh, you have other, you know, possibilities, but they're less, if you like, ideologically um, coherent, I think, than than Liz Truss. But, you know, to, to be honest, I think, you know, the Conservative Party could just get to a point where, you know, it's anyone but Boris. Uh, you know, I don't think the lack of an obvious successor will necessarily put them off dumping him if they really feel that they need to. Yeah, I agree with him. I don't, I don't buy the idea that there needs to be an obvious successor for, for, for no. Boris Johnson to be ditched because the way the Conservative MPs and, and will see it is Boris Johnson is now a net negative. I could lose my job because of Boris Johnson. He must go immediately. Mm. We need change immediately. That's where I think Conservative MPs will end up sitting. That's where I think a lot of them sit and as was revealed yesterday in their confidence votes. Yeah, quite quite rightly, and I, I think I've I've said elsewhere. You know, if you're in a burning building and there's only one exit, you're not going to worry too much about who's on the other side of the door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I think you know they could be getting to that point, but we'll see. I mean, you know, looking at the opinion polls today, there was one out saying that you know Labour was on thirty eight and the Conservatives were on thirty four. You know that that's not an irrecoverable position for a party in, in midterm. You know, we'd really need, I think, to see a, a run of opinion polls where Labour are up in the kind of early to mid 40s and the Conservatives drop below 
30%. I think that 30% is a bit of a magic figure, actually. I think, you know, were we to find the Conservatives consistently polling in the 20s or, the you know, even if it were the late 20s, I think you begin to see Conservative Party MPs panicking. But clearly then they're, they're not panicking or not enough of them are panicking yet um, to want to make that change. And I think, you know, it is only when that happens that, that they will be able to um, ditch Boris Johnson because there's no way that guy is going, um, you know, of, of his own accord. Absolutely, absolutely not. It's a real question as to why it's, I mean, in one sense, why their vote has been so resilient. And I, I'm not quite sure exactly why it's been as mm. resilient, maybe kind of the people in their coalition, generally more economically secure, generally have been so far shielded from the economic headwinds, mm. um, and also have a strong fealty to, to the brand. And also, I think part of it might be the fact that like, they say they're voting conservative, but they're not voting conservative if Johnson is there. Yes. Um, but we'll see what happens on that side. Yeah, yeah, I well, think what... I think that's true. I think I think, you know, there are some reasons why one would expect it to hold up, aren't there? I mean, I think the age distribution is very important. Clearly, you know, we see that the older voters um, you know, vote conservative disproportionately, and of course they turn out disproportionately, which is good for the conservatives. Um but of course, those national figures could hide, you know, real geographical problems for the Conservatives. It's it's all very well if you've got thirty four percent, but you've got to have thirty four percent in the right place. Uh, and if you've not got it in the right place, uh, then you're in trouble. Likewise, Labour, um, you know, thirty eight percent doesn't look that good. But um, if they've begun to gain support in some of those smaller towns, you know, moving out of those big urban areas where they just pile up votes that are essentially wasted, then. Um, you know, they're, they're in a better position than people think. And of course, we always have to remember that, um, you know, Labour stands a chance of governing, even in fact, if it doesn't emerge as the largest party, even if it actually gets close to the Conservatives, the Conservatives might just be the largest party because Labour has got alternatives. Labour has got other parties who will work with it, either in coalition or as a support party. And that's just not the case for the Conservative Party. I mean, the only party one can imagine going into some sort of coalition with them or some sort of support party arrangement is the DUP. But surely now, even the DUP has learned its lesson and wouldn't give the Conservative Party a, 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 another majority. But who knows? Who knows? It's a stranger things have happened. <laughs> Should we move on to our concluding thoughts? Tim, what are your concluding thoughts? Well, uh, mine are that uh, I think Boris Johnson is badly damaged by this. Uh, I'm not altogether persuaded that his time is up yet, but nor am I convinced that he is out of the woods. Uh, I think those by-elections, as I say, will be quite crucial. I think, you know, really we need to be watching the opinion polls, you know, as the summer uh, moves on and, and whether Labour can open up a a more convincing lead. And, and I guess I would also say that, of course, um, this episode in itself may have an impact on the opinion polls. You know, it will reveal that the Conservative Party is badly divided. And, you know, there's that old saw that voters don't like divided parties. Um, it will look pretty um, chaotic and, and perhaps uh, it will um, persuade people that the you know government is too concerned about, you know, its own internal affairs uh, rather than actually looking after the the country so it could have a kind of independent effect on on the opinion poll so we ought to watch out for that fantastic Jeeve, what are your concluding thoughts i think that 
with this entire Partygate saga, if you'd looked at the numbers who wanted Boris Johnson to resign, you would say not much has happened since November, despite all the political cycles, despite all of Operation Save Big Dog, despite every single kind of newspaper headline, however many saying keep Boris, etc. All of it, at the end of it all, after the initial stories about parties came out, it really, for me, the death knell was rung then. He's been dragged out another six months. I don't see it going much longer, but who knows where it could get up to. I mean, it's certainly made up this, this time. In terms of his legacy... I don't think there'll be much to look back at with fondness. I think even for those who supported Brexit would say, yes, he got Brexit done, but you know we strongly dislike him. Otherwise, very negative approval ratings. And the Conservative Party also has some real difficult choices to make and whoever the next leader is going to be. Where do they stand on in terms of the economics, given how different their instincts are to where the publics are? And more broadly as well, I mean, there's been a lot of cabinet ministers you think are going to be leadership contenders who have gone on the telly and said things that are that will look back as silly, basically covering for Boris Johnson. And I wonder what kind of reckoning they will have to make with the public in order to kind of say, actually, this is what we stand for now. Like, could Boris Johnson has, you know, damaged those around him because he himself is dishonest. He's made the party dishonest. So... I wonder how that's going to pan out for them. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, actually. Johnson has not only pulled himself down, but those around him. And that's a yeah, really important point. I guess my, my concluding thoughts focus both on what Conservatives do next and also Johnson. So I think Conservative backbench MPs will take a, a close look at polling data and polling numbers over the next few weeks and months. You know, Conservative numbers have taken a, a downward turn in, in sort of recently. Johnson's approval rate has never been great, but they've taken a, a sort of a pronounced dip in, in the last few weeks as well. So that's going to be something I think Bad Benjamin please will, will look at in terms of testing the temperature of what the, the, the current mood is um, amongst the public. And on Johnson's legacy, I think ultimately history will remember Johnson as the Prime Minister that got Brexit done. Sure, fantastic. But he'll also be remembered as the Prime Minister who repeatedly lied to the nation and failed to follow the rules that he expects us to follow during a time of crisis. I think his premiership will be defined by his many scandals. And he leaves behind a legacy of, of callousness and hubris. That is Boris Johnson in, in a nutshell. You know, Johnsonism was always never really a firm ideological commitment. It was all about op- opportunism. And ultimately, kind of Boris Johnson's arrogance and his character, which is, which people speak about his strength of character, being able to hold his coalition together, his, his character has ultimately been his downfall. And I think that's Johnson's legacy. So, so yeah. Fantastic. Tim, we're on to the exciting part of the podcast. What is your your jam of the week? Uh, well, I I couldn't decide between Survivor by Destiny's Child, obviously, <laughs> and uh, Red Light Means Danger by Billy Ocean. But because uh, the, the latter is such a banger, I'm going to go for Billy Ocean. Brilliant. <laughs> Great choice. I couldn't I argue with either of those choices. Destiny's Child fan, Tim. <laughs> Great stuff. Fantastic. That was like a good place to end. So, thank you, Tim, for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We hope to see you again next week. Bye. Yeah. Okay. All right.